0: You're listening to The Bunker New York live on Red Bull Radio.
1: Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kasnick, and we're here uh, live in Berlin where the Red Bull Music Academy is happening at Funk House. I have two special guests here today. Uh, first up will be Dr. Rubenstein, and then for the second half of the show, we have Paolo Di Nola. i um, gonna do a brief interview here with Dr. Rubenstein, and then she's gonna play a special vinyl-only DJ set for us. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Hey, Brian, how are you?
1: I'm, I'm very well. It's, it's very good to be here. Uh, I always love being in Berlin. Well, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, just wanted to talk about a few things before you get into your set here. Um, one thing that's really struck me about your your music career is it seems you've had like uh, an extremely fast rise to popularity in the scene, and you're playing lots of big festivals and events now, and you seem to have pulled this off without any of the, I don't know, traditional structures in place that people use. like. Producing or having a label or being the resident DJ at a big party um, Which it just seems like you've you've just uh, Gotten to this point of pretty massive success on your own against the odds And I'm just wondering from your perspective like how how do you think this this happened? How did you get here?
2: Well, I don't know I guess uh, you cannot just give one explanation about something but I don't know, I guess part of, of like this success or something is that um, I come to DJing from the dance floor actually, right. you know, I don't come from um, standing behind DJ and seeing what they're doing or from some crew or label or party. I, I come from the dance floor, I love to dance and I've been going out much longer than I DJ. So you know, this is also like part of my kind of education or how I like before i started DJing, i was going out and dancing for years and i guess people can can feel it you know when i when i'm in a dj booth when i when i dj i don't i don't try to like show what i got or i don't know to educate someone or like it's not about me you know it's just about everyone having a fun party yeah everyone just like it, being a part of it, and I guess people can feel it, you know, when you don't put yourself above everyone, but just trying to blend and just be a part of what everyone, like, part of everyone's experience. And I guess it helped me a lot, because in the end, people can feel everything. Yeah. When they're on the dance floor, they can feel your energy.
1: Yeah. So I'm I'm guessing it's very important to you to, like, feed off the... Energy of the crowd and what's happening at oh, the party, and not, not
2: like plan out a set. No, no, I never plan anything except of like, except of today or like when I play a radio show, and I'm always a bit nervous. But on the party, no, I never plan anything and I just let like go with the flow.
1: Yeah. Um, so you just got back from New York, I guess, tell us a little bit about your trip. I know you played a gig and went to Sustain Release, how was all of that?
2: Oh my god, I love I love New York, I love going there, I don't know, something special about the city. And yeah, no, I played the show in nowadays, it was my first time there and actually it's such a cool club and such a, like fun place and really good crowd. Every- yeah, I love it there. I loved everything about it. And I had the weekend off. Went to a festival because honestly, for me, it's very important to still go and party. Yeah. To go out and dance and to like not to forget this feeling of how how it is to be on the dance floor and just enjoy the music. So it was. You know, I call it dance floor research.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, how did you, of all the festivals to, you know, take a weekend off from doing gigs and play at in the world, you chose uh, to take the weekend off for sustained release? Is that is that festival special to you for some reason, or why why I that mean,
2: one? Yeah. Like I, I've been there once two years ago, and I really loved it and also uh, a friend of mine organizes it, Aurora, and she's doing an amazing job, and I love her and respect her as an artist. And she has, like, a really cool taste and always invites really interesting artists, so I knew I'll have a good time there, and music-wise it will be interesting and will be a proper rave experience, you know? Uh,
1: Yeah, she, she, she really does a very good job of it, and I understand that this year you you had the experience like you were just you just kind of went as almost a punter you you stayed in uh, a cabin with strangers and how (laughs) how was that experience?
2: I guess I'm too old for that (laughs) but it was funny just like when you're touring DJ you forget this experience of like being around like strangers and not being like treated specially and not have your like hotel room and your host and that everything is there like organized for you you kind of forget about it, you know. And actually, it was cool to like remember how how it's yeah. like to be a raver on a festival.
1: I think it's valuable to have it, those experience and remember, yeah, what everybody's experience. Who you're actually. It it was for. an
2: experience, but uh, I'm actually glad that I had it. it. Took me time to get used to it again, but yeah. it was fun in the end. I had the best time.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was. I was only up there for one night this year, but it was a. I thought it was a really, really special one. Um, since we're in Berlin, we should talk about Berlin for a little bit. So you're you're not from here. Uh, when when did you come here and what brought you here?
2: Um, honestly, I just came for the first time like seven years ago and I just came here to party because I love partying. and I've been going, going to parties for so long. So you know, for every braver it's like important to come to Berlin. Yeah, and I just came for like 12 days. I was absolutely alone. I just went to parties on my own. I checked like, like a resident advisor and I saw like what DJs I want to see, where do I want to go. So I went like everywhere, like Berghain, Lang, Golden Gate, some festival and rumors booked. I don't remember, like literally everywhere. Okay. And then I was like, oh my God, this was awesome. It was not enough. So I came for like a month again and then again, and then I just moved here. It was like, I I was like, okay, this is home.
1: You were drawn to here. Yeah. Um, Well, now that you're playing out all the time, what are some of your favorite places to play in Berlin?
2: Um, Of course, Berghain. Yeah. It's like, I fell in love with techno when I came first to Berghain, and I was like, oh my God. Because back then in Tel Aviv, the scene was not so much into techno. It was more like house or tech house. So there were like no places where you can actually hear like, Proper hard Real techno, techno yeah. yeah. So I w- I didn't know so much about it, and then I came to Berkeley and I was like, oh my god, can I like can I spend my life here or something?
1: You can spend a lot of your life there, actually. <laughs> yeah, you can and I did spend a pretty good chunk if you want to. I
2: did now not so much anymore, but I still go out to party like Sunday nights when sometimes when I come back from from touring and if uh, closing DJ is like someone ho- whom I want to see, so I I still go.
1: Yeah. Um, what are your favorite places to buy records in Berlin?
2: Um, I like a few like small record shops. Uh, I just spent like uh, half a day on Monday at Sound Metaphors, uh-huh. but bought, bought a bunch of cool stuff there. Uh, I like to go to Audi It's a small record shop in Friedrichshain with used records. I go there like frequently. Uh, also b- Bikini Wax. It's a record store in Kreuzberg. Actually, it's right around the corner from Sound Metaphor, So it's like perfect okay. to go to one and then to another. It's just like one minute walking. So yeah, they have like a lot of stuff and you can spend easily like half a day digging. Yeah. But I always find some like really cool gems there that's like really unknown. And some of them are not even on YouTube, you know. Yeah. Some secret weapons.
1: Nice. Yeah. Um, what are your favorite places to eat in Berlin?
2: Wow, <laughs> I, d- <laughs> I don't know, I live in Friedrichshain, so actually I don't care so much about food, Like I just go to eat at some, the same Asian restaurant next to my place almost every day, ordering the same dish, M- my life is like about like going to new place, a few new places every weekend, just like so much, so many things are happening, so I really enjoy just the one stable thing, just going like yeah. to, s- to the same restaurant and having the same dish so I don't care so much yeah. well
1: I mean that yeah. must be nice because you're actually you're not he, you live here but you're you're on the road a lot oh yeah do you do you come back to Berlin most weeks like between the weekends or yeah. you yeah
2: mm-hmm. I usually spend like three four days between the weekends in Berlin unless I'm going for, on, on like a long tour then then not
1: yeah if you're going <laughs> to Asia or North America or yeah something but
2: like that. I always feel like so happy like I live here for almost se- seven years And I still find Berlin like so beautiful. Sometimes, you know, I ride my bike crossing the bridge and there is this pretty sunset. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so pretty. I stop my bike and just like stare at it, you know, like a tourist who came to Berlin for the first time. I still love it.
1: Um, I guess just one one final thing before we get into your DJ set here. I know you brought some vinyl you're excited about uh what's do you want to talk a little bit about the idea behind the set or just Um, get into it
2: honestly like there's not much idea when i was thinking what should i play i couldn't come up with any cool idea and yesterday like the sun was just like shining in my living room and it was so like uh the sun was how do you say um like reflected in the in the disco ball and it was so 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 pretty in my living right. room. Yeah, so it was a very I,
1: nice day yesterday.
2: I thought uh I'm just gonna play some Sunrise MDMA records. Okay, <laughs> That's the idea.
1: Okay, well that sounds really good and with that I guess uh, we should just get into the set. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, we're Let's here start. in Berlin uh, with Dr. Rubenstein. She's gonna play with us until the top of the hour when Paolo Di is gonna join us. You're listening to The Bunker, New York on Red Bull Radio.
0: Listening
1: to Red Bull Radio. Hello, you're listening to the Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. Uh, that was Dr. Rubenstein in the mix for the past hour. Very cool set, all vinyl. And now for the second half of the show, we have Paolo Nola. Thank you for coming in. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's really great to have you here. And actually. <laughs> Involve you in something bunker related, <laughs> finally. I know, I know. I've been um, difficult, but yeah. <laughs> um, so, you've been doing electronic music for just about as long as anybody I know. You started uh, as a founder and resident DJ of a club called Devotion in Rome in 1987. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you could just tell us even a little bit of what that was like, because I can hardly, you're a little older than I. I was. Ten years old, living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, at that time. Wow! I mean, this was like the this was kind of the first, the very first wave of house music. Like, what, what was it like? Um, in there parties? was we had actually
3: a quite solid club scene, but it was still very Italo disco at that moment, and not the kind of Italo disco we like. Mm-hmm. You, okay. know? <laughs> you, know, like you know, not those famous fifty records that everybody loves so much, but like the later wave and um me and my friend all had the garage experience separately and came back to rome and were starving for that music you know there was nowhere to hear it or find it as a matter of fact um and we started our own club just because you know (laughs) we tried and we started in a little club the summer of 87 it was a club about 200 people capacity and we had, within one week, a thousand people outside. And I'm not kidding you. So, there was a need for that music, you know, people were ready.
1: Yeah, how did you... I'm wondering how you... I mean, we have our ways of promoting events these days, but how How did you get the word out that you were opening a new club and doing these parties in 1987?
3: There was a, a gay club called... Um, Urania Fashion Invaders, actually. It was, <laughs> it was a little gay club um, <clears throat> that friends of mine were throwing. And we just, it was like all voice by voice, you know, like one by one. We just got those kids in. And little by little, the word started, it spread like fire. Yeah. So it was all just literal word of mouth. Yeah. In we had some flyers, but at that moment, it wasn't so important even to have flyers, not in Rome at least, because it wasn't the club scene was so strong and we 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 totally work outside of the club circuit so you had to do that's the only alternative you
1: had yeah and uh were things druggy in 1987 what was going on in italy in 1987 ecstasy ecstasy beginning of that whole thing yes absolutely
3: um it was mostly that but this was really like that season it started yeah. um, and collided with that music, so obviously, you know, everybody's head went like. Poof! Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's like a club full of people, kind of, well, maybe not if not experiencing it for the very first time. It was still a very new and exciting I experience for most, everybody doing MDMA.
3: Most of the people were doing it for the first time. I, w- I would say. Um, we also um, because we were so obsessive about the garage. And that was the year that the garage closed. That's why we decided to do this club. It's a, <clears throat> you know, we um, we had to move from this little club to a giant club eventually, also outside of the club circuit because we didn't want to have anything to do. We, we were really into like also space and synergy of the space. Yeah. And we moved to this club, which was a geodesic dome. And uh, in the footstep of the garage, we were only playing house music, disco and um not serving alcohol you know so was people, that uh, was for legal reasons or because you just didn't want there to be alcohol at the we, we didn't want it to have alcohol we were so fascinated <laughs> about the garage as we <laughs> said that we you know we wanted to sort of emulate the same thing um also because you know alcohol if it's mixed with other stuff and those kids were obviously doing other stuff you know, it's like it, it can get pretty dangerous yeah instead this way we had this really good you know happy
1: yeah well, you keep referencing the Paradise Garage. Maybe talk a little bit about like wh- when were you in New York that you were, when and why were you in New York that you were able to experience the Paradise Garage and what was that like? So, first time I was in New York,
3: I went for almost a year as a student. Uh, I was staying at my uncle in Canarsie, out of all places. So by the airport, pretty much. Yeah, it's pretty far out there. Yeah. And that's the first time I went to the garage in 81. And there was no house yet. There was like some sort of proto house. But there was such an incredible scene that it was so um, different from anything I've ever experienced that, I mean, you had to be blind not to understand what was going on. And, you know, obviously I was like, really moved by what i've seen and then eventually i went back to italy did a lot of things there fini- i had to finish my high school here <laughs> yeah <laughs> do double exams to pass the exams in european schools you know the whole nine yards. and then um i started going back and forth and then i went back to in 87 which was the last year it was open and house music was out there and it was another experience altogether and you know you had, i mean if you were a DJ at that point, that's what you were following. Yeah. It was so new
1: and so different that so were those your first experiences going out to a nightclub, going to the Paradise Garage? Or no? No, you, no, no, no. no, no, no. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I used to go
3: clubbing when I was like uh 12. We had a club called in the afternoon in Rome called Casual Fall, which was actually a gay club. But during Sunday afternoon they would let kids in and they would play Italo Disco. And all the kids in the city used to go and get out there and dance to Italo disco. The good stuff though,
1: Yeah, the beginning stuff. So was The Devotion your start uh, with DJing or were you DJing and collecting records before then? I was collecting records, I had DJ
3: friends um, because we used to go to London a lot as well, you know. So I knew some of those DJs back then and I used to go to the Mad Club in London. Uh, Mark Moore used to play at the time, which eventually did s Express the whole house team, and um, I collected records because I used to actually go bother him and ask for titles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I did the the whole thing. <laughs> I used to like you know like go listen to DJs that I loved and ask for titles and hang out in record store because that's how it was done. There was no internet. But yeah. then... You
1: know, yeah. I try I try explaining that to kids now, and it's it's nobody can relate younger yeah they they can't actually wrap their head around that to find music you yeah you had to talk to djs you had to literally dig in record stores there was no i mean forget about youtube there was no discogs even you just we didn't have anything we had we had to go
3: to record store and talk to the guys there and i mean even when i used to go to a lot of clubs in new york and you know on the way out i used to go to vinyl mania and just most of the time whistle the song because i didn't even know the the title and the guys were so on it that they would actually go like yeah here (laughs) they would give you the record and that's how it was done but that was actually in a way in some ways it was a better process because people really get to know the music and refine their taste because the guys at the record store would be so knowledgeable most of the time that yeah now it's different i mean
1: no wrong or right but yeah did you I, I can't remember, did you do you ever work in record stores at all yourself? Yeah, I worked in New York at Temple Records, which was a techno store, you remember? <laughs> that was actually my, in a way, my introduction to all this music. I mean, I kind of got introduced to electronic music a little bit, but the the process of going to a store and buying dance music records with the idea of playing them out for people that really all started with me at Temple. And I'm really to this day grateful that that store was there because of all the stores in New York. I mean, they were they were really super knowledgeable. The selection was so good. Um, I mean, for
3: techno, it was Temple and, and, and uh, Sonic Groove. Sonic Groove, was, yeah. You know, yeah, so. but
1: I always liked Temple somehow that it always resonated more with my particular taste. They or whatever. both had their, you know, specific sound. I mean, right.
3: You know, I mean, Sonic Groove started sort of techno in New York, pretty much. Yeah. And, and Temple had more of a German connection at that point. You With still, Khan
1: and everything, yeah. Khan
3: and all the Cologne scene and, you know, those, that minimal German techno stuff came through there. mostly. <clears throat> and I started working there when it was actually underneath Liquid Sky.
1: Yeah, I actually went at that location. That was the first location yeah. I went down that, down that, yeah. uh, like, spiral staircase. and Exactly. So crazy. It feels like so long ago. So when exactly was your time in New York after doing Devotion? When, what era was that? Throughout the 90s, I moved in
3: 1990, and it was there until 2007. That's a long time. This is a long time, absolutely,
1: yes. And like a lot of that time, I would say, we were kind of talking about this a bit before the show, it was, it was kind of a dark period for electronic music in New York. I mean, certainly the like late 90s into the mid 2000s, it was very strange,
3: it was very underground. W- yes, exactly. It went really underground. There was a lot of people making music at that point, I think. And they were, you know, New York is New York. There's always going to be some brilliant mind somewhere doing something incredible. Yeah. You know? problem is that um, with all the laws at that point we didn't have venues to express anything to play record or have live shows or anything and so so the scene kind of like self imploded you know it was like nothing happening for a long
1: time yeah I got to New York in like 96 97 and it seemed normal to me because I hadn't been there before then but the vast majority, I went to some parties that managed to happen outside of the system, but the vast majority of places where the DJs who are interested in, who were playing, it was just bars and lounges for the most part. Nobody had a good sound system. It kind of killed the scene, Yeah,
2: uh,
3: the whole thing, absolutely. At the same time, a lot of uh, unknown DJs were able to get gigs because bars didn't really care. Yeah. I know they didn't go for a big name. They, they did not have to. It was like background music. So at the same time there was all these like bizarre DJs coming in and, and doing like quite interesting stuff. You know, some yeah. of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it wasn't the best setting, but it was I, I mean I felt it was a fertile period. I, w- I was really I was super psyched when I got to New York from Pittsburgh. But there was all this oh, stuff. Now, right
3: it's, now it's now it's now Pittsburgh is on the map. Definitely.
1: Yes, yes. With Honcho and all of our friends there. Oh, yeah. Um what else did I want to talk to you about? Uh, should we talk a little bit about your... Is your record label still active, the Panacoustica no. label?
3: No, Or man. It's... Um, I love having a record label, but at the same time, I'm the kind of person that only writes music when I feel like I have something to say. And right now, in that within that um, conversation of music that I was doing, which is this bizarre cosmic down-tempo thing, I don't have much to say, so I'll keep it dormant.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so, at what point did you move from New? Was Berlin the next move after New York? No,
3: I went back to Rome, Italy, for like five years. Yeah, I-, I was kind of stuck there, actually. Speaking of no scene, um, at that point, there's <laughs> really nothing going on, um, and then. Um, we decided to move to Berlin and Michael, my partner, fell in love with Berlin and we were like, just, just, just do this, you know. And I moved here, we already had residency. I was very lucky. Um, I was I had a residency for um, homopathic at the time.
1: How did that come about? You just moved here and got right into it? No,
3: um, Antonella, Anna Bolena, one of the DJs there, knew about the club, Devotion, Roma, a little bit of my history and called me to play once. and. Once they heard me, they were like, oh, you want a residency? I was like, sure. Why not? It's <laughs> pretty
1: lucky. You know? And that's kind of led into a different party, but somehow related. The Buttons party is where you have your residency now. I had, yes,
3: I have a residency there. And I play mostly for all the queer parties in Berlin.
1: Yeah. Do you get to travel much outside of Berlin to DJ, or are you pretty much here. I
3: keep it on the low side. I don't necessarily like traveling very much, <laughs> as you know. But also, yeah. like I, I was in Nantes uh, last weekend. I, I I sort of pick my parties. You know, I, if I really like the promoters and I really I go. Otherwise, you know, you've been on the circuit for a long time. It can be boring sometimes. So. Yeah. Yeah, and we're really spoiled in Berlin we have some of the best parties ever. It I mean, is
1: it is really good here. You
3: can play incredibly obscure music and you will have five people come into the digit booth thing like, Oh I know that record, I have that record. Yeah.
1: I mean it doesn't get better than that. So do you think you'll ever come back to the US to play? Because, I, I mean, we've, talk, we've talked about this off-mic, of course, <laughs> but I know that Honcho is really interested in having you play and the Bunker. I love and, those uh, guys. And I love your,
3: you know, i mean, it's like all the is there are nothing but nice to me. But we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I have to make my mind up about going back to the states. I, I, I'm afraid I'm not gonna recognize anything that was even remotely familiar to me at this point.
1: You probably, uh, honestly, wouldn't. I mean, sometimes I leave New York for a couple months at a time, and honestly, even just being away a few months, it can be shocking. Yeah, L- really shocking how much a neighborhood can change in even just a few months.
3: I'm not even so, ready for that, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I think I think for you it would be. A gigantic shock. Where? What neighborhood were you living in in New York? Lower East Side. Yeah, I mean it's it's nothing n- like it. No, yeah. it's it's pretty unrecognizable. Um, so before we get into the mix, maybe a couple more questions about Berlin, what are your favorite places to dig for records here? Boyer Records, Hard Wax,
3: and then markets. Just look around, sniff around. I mean, it's always been like that. You know, you just go where go with the flow. Yeah. When you see vinyl, go through it. Go see it. Have you pared down
1: your collection at any point throughout your life? Or have Tremendously. You...
3: Yeah. yeah. I have about 5,000 5, records, no more than that. now. I yeah. used to have like, so much more. It was ridiculous. I couldn't move through my rooms. I don't do it anymore. I also transfer a lot of my vinyl on USB keys because, you know, unfortunately, the techniques... 1200 are not exactly new machines yeah and sometimes you go to clubs and they have a lot of torn arm feedback and yeah stuff happens and and you know it's like ultimately for me it's not the media it's delivering the energy to the people and the music so you know but when
1: the, when the situation is right you're still a guy who loves to play your vinyl yeah also
3: like you know sometimes you buy some stuff that it's not out yet on on audio, in audio and you, know, yeah. you end up playing the vinyl if i don't have time to transfer it on my key i'll play the vinyl yeah it is
1: quite the process doing that it does change also the way you play it. oh absolutely it's a, it's a completely different process ah. flipping through records in a bag versus ah. flipping through files and so the mixing CD. them
3: you know i used to i used to cut a lot faster and do different different way yeah
1: definitely but it's all good um, well, with that, I think we have about 40 minutes left here. I'd like to hear you play for a while. Should we get into the set? Sure. Okay, so yeah. we're going to get into the mix now with uh, Paolo Dinola. Nola. You're listening to The Bunker, New York on Red Bull Radio.
4: we mm-hmm.
1: Listening to the Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio, we've been in the mix with Paolo Danola. Thank you for listening. He's gonna take us out here to the top of the hour. Uh, really nice to be here in very nice studios in Red Bull Berlin at the Funk House. Thanks for tuning in. Been listening to the Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio.